Seth, I, I think we should talk. Seth and I have a favor to ask. If you are enjoying Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, please do us a solid and go ahead and share it with friends. Also, if you rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you listen, it will get to other people and that'd be good. We want more people to hear about this stuff that we think is so cool. So share, rate, review, and thank you. Hey Rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rocky Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley, sitting here with the Palmini to my daring king, Wow, Mr. Matt Black. Pulling out a Palmini, <laughs> okay. How you doing, Seth? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Happy to be back in the digital saddle with you. Even though we've had a few technical difficulties, hopefully we'll get all those things what's, ironed out. And... What's what's 30 minutes of audio connection between friends, right? Exactly. <laughs> Dude, I got to ask, what are you wearing today? Oh, I don't know if you can see it behind this uh, filter here. I'm wearing my Prince Glyph shirt. Artist formerly known as Prince, the Glyph that he used instead of a the name glyph. for a little while. Yeah. What are you wearing? What I wish I was wearing was my Mute Math T-shirt, but I still haven't <laughs> found. I still haven't found it yet. You're gonna find it someday, so, Seth. I'm uh, sure. One of these days, I'll find it. And if not, maybe I'll just have to get on the internet and buy another one. Who knows? <laughs> So what are you wearing? Oh, you, you're just wearing a regular shirt then? I'm just wearing a, a regular Swanee Tiger t-shirt. Fair being, enough. Being true to my alma mater and my my origins as a DJ on WUTS. Fair enough. 91.3 FM <laughs> that is no longer on the air, sadly. All right, we're doing breakup songs today. The best breakup songs. Monster topic. And I know that you have a ton of criteria for this, so I'm going to I'm going to sit back. I have absolutely none. I have no criteria. What? It was impossible. How is it that was possible? Impossible. It was impossible. I figured this would be a topic that, you know, there'd be some good songs, but it's not necessarily the most popular topic in a rock and roll song and I was wrong. There are many, many, oh, many tons. thousands of songs about this topic. When I make these lists, I throw things on a... When, when we come up with these topics, I throw things on a playlist. And I don't just throw any song that's relevant. I just throw songs that I think are possibly going to make the top five. Yeah. And I ended up with 121 songs on the playlist. That's not just songs I can think of <laughs> that have to do with breakups or are about breakups. That's just songs I thought were worthy of consideration for the top five. This was an insane topic. I cannot believe we took this on. Whose idea was this anyway? Oh, this was mine, right? <laughs> yeah. Insane, insane. The only criteria that I used to eliminate songs was I eliminated songs that were... You know what? I can't even say that. I was about to give you like a, a wishy-washy criteria. No, I have no criteria. Songs about breakups. Just that the song is about a breakup? Yeah. Okay. Or, uh, you, know, you know, something like yeah. that. Close enough. I was trying to look at it. I did knock out a couple of songs where the relationship might not be over yet. Ah, uh, okay. I, well, I was looking at it like, should it be after the breakup? Should it be during the breakup? Yeah. Should and it be pre-breakup? those two, right. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I kind of looked at it from, from all those points mm -hmm. and just went with what I thought were the best songs. And like you, there's way too many. Yeah. This list could have been, you know, if you ask me on a different day, it's probably going to be five different songs. Oh, of course. And I mean, too many even songs. the five songs that I picked in the order they're in right now, 
You ask me a week from now, they'll be in a different order. Well, let's get to them. All right. Well, who's let's going to, actually, first? I, I should say I did. It wasn't exactly a criterion, but I did look up the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. <laughs> and I tried to see if the songs, yeah. if I could find one for each. I couldn't quite because, first of all, acceptance isn't all that interesting if you're doing a, a list of breakup songs. And it was tough to find a bargaining yeah. song. I did find one that made my honorable mentions, but I found the songs first, and then I tried to see if I could come up with the five stages. Didn't quite make it. Okay. Oh, I did try and use your uh, your rule of never use the same song. Oh, I always do that. You used to do it like never use the same group, but I'm not doing that. No, no, forget but, it. That's uh, out the door. I, yeah. I don't think that I have brought any of these songs up on the podcast before. That's the one criteria outside of a breakup song that That's, I think I've got. So. That and that, that we think they're the five best are just automatic for me. Okay. Every right. every list. There we go. Yeah. And I've got five new artists this time. Right. None of these have I ever used before. Yeah, I've got some new artists on here too. Why don't I start you and got an over -under? get the last word? Oh, the over-under. You know, honestly, I think the over-unders... 0.5, and I'm taking the under. Me too. I don't think you have any Me of these. Me too. I don't think we're going to have a duplicate. I've got one possibility that you might there's pull just, out, but just too I think, no, I think all, it's going to be low. All mine are possible, but there's just too many good songs. The chances that we pick the same one to include in the top five is very low. Yeah. So let's go. You go first. Okay. So my number five is a song called I Never Loved You Anyway by The Coors from their 1997 album Talk on Corn. Now, if you don't know who the cores are, because we haven't mentioned them before, never. they're three sisters and a brother from Ireland. They've got a pop band sound with a definite Irish tinge to it. And this song was written by the band and Carol Bayer Sager, a name that I don't think we've brought up before. Never talked uh, about it. And it also comes complete with a tin whistle and a Bodren break. Which is yeah. extremely Irish, but really good. It's a very cool instrument. If you don't know what a bodron is, it's a traditional Celtic hand drum. Sometimes they play it with just your hand, and sometimes they play it with a really small a drum stick. Same kind of thing you use for a steel drum. Yeah, I'm sure that that's got some name in Irish that I just don't know. So if anybody knows what that is off the top of your head, uh, send us an email. We'll learn what it is. <laughs> I found this band, oddly enough, watching the World Cup in 1994 because the USA ambassador to Ireland, a woman named Jean Kennedy Smith, invited them to perform at the World Cup in Boston after seeing them play a gig at Wayland's Music Bar in Dublin. How good is that? I gotta say, as a breakup song, this is one of the angry ones, like that's throwing nasty stuff back at their ex, where the singer can't see why they got with this person in the first place the song's really good the music's amazing the irish tinge to it is is really good and the vocals on it are clear as a bell and i don't have the name of the woman who's the lead singer but she has an amazing voice just a really good song i've liked it since i bought the album in 97 i never loved you anyway by the cores is my number five cool what's your number five my number five so i had as i said 121 songs on the list i had probably nine that i just could not knock out of the top five and i had to make some difficult choices i chose my number five because it's a band that i love but have never yet mentioned on the podcast i don't think i don't think either one of us ever has it's black coffee in bed okay by squeeze oh squeeze yeah if you're going with the phases of 
of grief is his denial. This is a guy telling himself he's fine, yeah. but he isn't fine. I have to say, having lived in Europe now almost 20 years, this is a very English sensibility to bring to an emotional problem. Uh, I've learned that. It's, a, it's amazing songwriting. It's got brilliant lyrics. There's a motif in the song about a stain on a notebook where a coffee cup was. That's the first line. There's a stain on my notebook where your coffee cup was. And Chris Difford, who wrote the song, yeah. said, in fact, that's what inspired him to write the song. He picked up a notebook and noticed the stain, and the stain had a backstory. It was left there by a previous partner, and that's what made him write the song. The stain runs through the song. You know, The first verse is, there's a stain on my notebook where your coffee cup was, and there's ash in the pages. Now I've got myself lost. I was writing to tell you that my feelings tonight are a stain on my notebook that rings your goodbyes. Kind of like saying, eh, whatever. But the, the last line and the last chorus of the outro is, now she's gone, and I'm back on the beat. A stain on my notebook says nothing to me, and clearly he does not mean that. You can tell from the way he's delivering the line yeah. that he's saying the opposite of what he actually feels. The melody and the instrumentation is really upbeat. It's a happy tune with this song, which is just a brilliant songwriting device, which you see a lot, where you've got a, a mismatch between the, the music and the lyrics, which really can bring something forward to the front, which I really like. So the, the mood is revealed only obliquely. I love Squeeze. They're yeah. a band we don't talk about nearly enough. I love this song. This is their biggest hit, one of their two or three biggest hits, but you know, not their best song even. One really cool thing about this song that I had no idea until I looked it up was the backing vocals on the song, which everyone just assumes are done by the band, are actually sung by Paul Young and Elvis Costello. That's cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> Those are two really well-known singers, yeah. and I don't know what they're doing on the backing vocals of this song, but clearly they liked it as much as I do. So number five, Black Coffee in Bed by Squeeze. What's your number four? Squeeze is a really good band yeah. that I've liked for a long time. Yeah, me too. Uh, I never heard them until I got to college, and one of the guys that lived a couple of rooms down from me just would not stop playing that Greatest Hits CD. <laughs> And I finally got into, you yeah. know, Black Coffee in Bed, Pulling Muscles for Michelle, which I always thought was Pulling Muscles for Michelle. <laughs> Interesting backstory there, too. <laughs> I won't get into that one. Yeah. It doesn't mean what Things, you think it means. <laughs> no, 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 no. Someone better tell Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number four, I always thought was a breakup song until I did the research on it. My number four is Your God by Vertical Horizon on the Everything You Want LP from 1999. This song is uh, it's a follow-up to their number one hit, Everything You Want, which uh, was a huge song in 2000. But this one actually got it to number 23 on the Billboard 100 as well. And while this song isn't necessarily a breakup song, and we'll get to that in a minute, it's from a less angry point of view than my number five song, and more a psychological bent on who the ex really is you're a god and i am not and i just thought you should know <laughs> you know so the singer matt scannell said you're a god was written about when we give people in our lives power over us it could be anything whether it's a romantic thing or not and this one wasn't. The song was partially inspired by a person in his life who had power over him and was making him miserable. And he realized all he had to do was stop and start looking down on them. And then he could take their power away. It's got such a great rhythm to it. It's got a really good drum part that I love to play along to. It's just a great song, well-crafted. The music's well 
the rhythm of the lyrics is really good. Always liked this song ever since the first time I've heard it. So that's why it's on my list. All right, dude, what's cool. your number four? Uh, well, you went down in the anger scale. I went way up in the anger scale. But this one's kind of a whiny, angry song. I love this song. It's so much fun to play. It's another one that combines a bright, happy musical ensemble with a something very different in the vocals. And it's, I can't say the proper name on the podcast, but I can say the radio edit name, <laughs> Forget You by CeeLo Green. This is a song, first of all, he did it with his production team, the Smeezingtons, which includes Bruno Mars as one of the members. They wrote it together along with a fifth guy whose name escapes me and I didn't write it down. doesn't really matter. He meant to write it in a sense about the music industry but I don't care what he was writing it about. When you hear this song, you can only yeah. hear it as a breakup song. It's hilarious, first of all. He really leans into the character, especially on the bridge where he really <laughs> lets the whininess out. It's so much fun to play. It's like a great gospel-styled song. You get to let out all the emotion inside you about whatever. It's one of those songs. I, there's a few that for me like this that when I play it, at the end, I'm kind of like, <laughs> what just happened? Like, <laughs> I'm kind of shaking and and just like I feel completely like I ran a race or something that left me exhausted. And I just love it. It's a great, fun song. You can use it, I guess, in any context. But if you look at the lyrics with any kind oh, of com- attention at all, it's a breakup completely song. Completely a breakup song. Says, yeah, so. but the anger part of it is offset by the boppiness of the music. Yeah, it's a it's a bop. And that's what a lot of great songwriters do. John Lennon was great at that. Kurt Cobain is great at that. And here you go. CeeLo Green's great at that, too. Forget you in my number four spot. My number three is the shirt I wish I still had. It's a song called Used To uh-huh. by Mute Math on one of their later records called Vitals. This breakup song is more from the mental state of the person who's moving on. And it's more talking about what that person used to feel like rather than what they're going through now. And it says, I used to feel alive. I used to want to. I used to be all right. I used to love you. The thing about this song is Hmm. it's very slow. It's simple. It's methodical. But even as slow as it is, it's got this point in the chorus where you end up clapping along. It's just a couple of claps, and it's amazing. The music to this tune and the pace of it and the way that he sings it gets you into this groove. I don't know how they do it, but everybody that I've ever played this song for gets into it. And by the second or third time through the chorus, they do the claps. And it's just genius. It's amazing. Paul Meany, the guy who got together with Darren King to form the band, stated that on Vitals, the challenge for that record was how few notes we could get away with. He said, we would overplay all the time recording this record, but then it was a process of trying now to skim it back. What are the essential parts of the song? We were trying to see how loud we could let simplicity happen for each song idea. And out of all the songs on that record, this one's the one where they knocked that out of the park. Just an amazingly perfect, genius song. If you haven't listened to it, pull it up. Used to by Mute Hmm. Math. That's my number three. All right, what's your number three? My number three is, I'm going to go back to denial. Went from denial to anger, back to denial. I guess that happens sometimes when you pass through the stages. You take a step back sometimes. And I'm going to use an artist that I don't particularly like. I've said so on the podcast before. But this song is just 
too good not to include in the top five. And it's Most of okay. the Time by Bob Dylan. I give a lot of respect to Bob Dylan, but I just don't enjoy listening to him. And this is an interesting song because Bob Dylan's well known as a guy who writes these great songs and records them, and then someone else covers them, and they're all of a sudden they're a ton better. This one is one that I th- almost feel like only he could have done this song, the way he sings and the way he expresses himself. It's a lot like Black Coffee in Bed in that you've got an unreliable narrator. He's saying how great he's feeling, how good everything is, but then he keeps ending, yeah. he keeps throwing in the line most of the time which obviously implies that some of the time, not so much. And maybe he's in a a bit of denial. But this one doesn't have the upbeat, bright melody and and instrumentation of Black Coffee in Bed. This one is a a kind of melancholy song. And it actually uses a two-chord pedal for almost almost the whole song, F and C. Starts on an F, but it's in the key of C, which makes this... Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? You know, remember what we call that? The four chord to the one chord is the... The plagal cadence. The plagal, the plagal cadence, cadence, which is okay, yes, yeah. the plagal cadence, which is very uh, common in religious music. As a, you know, it's what you sing "Amen" to, um, right? And the plagal cadence, it's a slightly modal feel. I won't get to get into the the deep theory because I don't understand it, frankly. But he keeps saying great things, like I don't even care if I ever see her again. Most of the time, don't even remember what her lips felt like on mine. Most of the time. <laughs> and it's yeah. just, it's this refrain, it keeps coming back. So 14 out of the 44 lines in the song are the lyrics most of the time. It's a reminder, you can't quite get past whatever it was. It's just a beautiful song. And again, you've got Dylan's voice, which in this case really, really works. Uh, I'll just throw in at the end two nice little callbacks to extra credit episodes we've done. Uh, for one thing, it was influenced heavily by the Neville Brothers album Yellow Moon, which he okay. was listening to and he was present for some of the recording of because they covered two of his songs. And I mentioned Yellow Moon on the Music with a Message episode. And it's also in the tra- soundtrack to High Fidelity, which we used in our Best Movies About the Music movie episode. Yeah. Uh, episode. And it was produced by Daniel Lanois, who is obviously uh, famously produced U- a couple of U2 albums to great claim. So most yeah. of the time by Bob Dylan, I, I'm not going to mention all the lyrics, but one or two more. I'm clear focused all around. I can keep both feet on the ground. I can follow the path. I can read the signs, stay right with it when the road unwinds. I can handle whatever I stumble upon. I don't even notice that she's gone most of the time. Sorry. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> my, my number three, most of the time by Bob Dylan. What's your number two? My number two is House Full of Reasons by Jude Cole. This was a guy who showed up in the early 90s and then disappeared, and I have no idea what happened to him. I, I, you I, never, I haven't recognized any of your song. Like this is this is for yeah yeah. All right, keep going, keep going. I can't wait to listen to him. So it's on his album A View from Third Street. If I weren't using your rule of not doubling up on songs, my number two mm-hmm. would have been I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt, which was my number one sad okay. song of all time. Nice one. But yeah. since I did use that rule, House Full of Reasons is my number two. This is okay. a really solid pop song. It's got an intro with piano and flute, which is kind of weird, but it gives way to the electric guitar as the verse starts, but keeps the piano and does a really good job with it. This song, the lyrics are kind of a really good, I won't call it a word portrait because it doesn't talk about the music. And it's not really poetic, but it's a really good story about a guy who's reached the end of his relationship and is trapped inside of his house full of reasons that he says, I should be moving on. The line that gets me the most in this song is in the chorus, you had me believing this is the way the love goes. Wow. 
His voice is really good on this recording, and he also plays all the guitars on it, which are really good. It's a solid song, but I think the words are really what gets you. He's talking about sitting in the room, looking at the door, you slammed so hard, you broke the windows. That just brings to mind like, wow, that's got to be a really bad breakup. Just because of the lyrics, that's my number two is House Full of Reasons by Jude Cole. What's your number two? I'm going the other way. I'm going to one where the lyrics really just don't matter that much because the vocal performance is so powerful. And we've been through uh, denial and anger. Uh, I don't have any bargaining on my list. These are the five stages of grief again. So I'm just going to go to the stage right before the fifth stage, the stage of depression. And I'm going to go with Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. First of all, we all know this is written by Prince, right? I don't want to matsplain anything to you, but this is written by Prince. And I got more to say about it. About that in a minute, but the vocal delivery of the song that Sinead brings is so plaintive. She goes from a whisper to a scream, which is another good song, which is not this podcast episode, but she goes from a plaintive whisper to a desperate scream with seemingly no effort at all, and everything she does is spot on. She just can't make a mistake in this song. No false steps at yeah. all. The lyrics are nice, the tune is nice, the instrumentation is sparse, but this is all about Sinead's voice. Yeah. In the song, she's talking about, you know, she says very specifically, it's been seven hours and 14 days since you left, so we know when the breakup happened, how far along she is. Yeah. And she's trying other things. She's going out all night. She's seeing other people. Nothing's working. She can't get past this relationship. And she just goes through this full range of emotion. There's an interesting little sidebar, which I'll step into. Um, In the bridge, she refers to mama. And I thought that could be a nickname because some people might use that as a term of endearment. But then I went back to the original Prince version and he says mama also. So it wasn't just like a thing she said. But in Sinead's case, it turns out that she lost her mom when she was 17 and she was thinking of her when she sang the song and she was thinking of her when she shot the video, which by the way, uh, some of it was shot in Paris at the Parc de Saint-Cloud. And in the video, after she sings the bridge, two tears roll down her face. And in an interview, she said she was thinking of her mom and the tears were very genuine. So that's a meaningful, yeah. moving part of the song. But getting back to the breakup part, she brought the full range of emotions there. Got to talk about the Prince angle here a little bit. Prince is famous yeah. for supporting female artists in particular. A lot of artists, but female artists in particular, and writing songs and giving them to other artists. He did that all the time. I assume this was one of those cases. Turns out, not at all. He wasn't real happy that Sinead covered the song. He said publicly that she did a good job with it. Yeah. But he wasn't real happy. And then they met, and according to both of them, they hated each other. And she describes this weird interaction where he tried to get her to, to eat a bowl of soup that she didn't want. And then he invited her to have a pillow fight. But he had something heavy in his pillow to hurt, hurt her, and she accused him of violence to other women, other artists. I don't know what the truth of the matter is. I really don't. I have no idea. He's a weird guy, and she was apparently a kind of a prickly yeah. personality, too. By the way, they both died, coincidentally, around the same age. I think Prince was 57, and Sinead, just, we just lost her this summer in July at 56, or I might have their ages backwards, but about the same age. Anyway, it's a bizarre sidebar. But for me, it was an interesting comparison between this song and my number three song. Dylan's a guy who famously writes songs that other people cover better. Prince is a guy who famously nobody can cover well. But in this case, I'm sorry, there's just no comparison between Sinead's version of the song and Prince's version of the song. She absolutely knocks it out. And you just can't do any better than that. So my number two spot, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Written by Prince, but by Sinead O'Connor. Her version's the definitive version of that song. I don't think Prince would argue with you on that point either. I'm not so sure about that, (laughs) according to what I read. What's your number one? 
My number one is Ghost by the Indigo Girls. Okay, good one. First one I knew. (laughs) (laughs) This one's just a heartbreaking account of how the singer feels after losing the love of their life. Mm. The poetry in the lyrics is the reason this one's number one on my list. And while the performance on the studio version is, it's good, it doesn't have the heartbreaking performance that Bonnie Raitt puts into I Can't Make You Love Me. And I Can't Make You Love Me is also kind of a poetic song. But this one describes the angst with such great detail. The whole song is amazing, but I'm just going to pull out this one part. It says, And there's not enough room in this world for my pain. Signals cross and love gets lost and time past makes it plain. Of all my demon spirits, I need you the most. I'm in love with your ghost. The version that I think is the best is the live cut on 1200 Curfews. It's just the guitar and Emily and Amy's phenomenal voices. As far as a breakup song goes, it's just perfection. So that's why it's my number one, Ghost by the Indigo Girls. Nice one. All right, man. You got the last word. What's the top of the list? Seth, I I think we should talk. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I just got a I just got a big one. Say it so mad. I love you, man. (laughs) I'm taking us outside the box here. I'm I'm really not allowed to do this. Okay. Because I won't repeat songs unless I absolutely have to, I did not put the mother of all breakup songs in my number one spot. That's You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. And we've talked about okay. that in the collaborations episode because Flea and Dave Navarro from Red Hot Chili Peppers played guitar and bass on that song and made it come to life. Right. There is an yeah. obvious air to that song. It's not just the song, it's the whole album. So I'm going to use yeah. the entire album <laughs> as my number one, oh. although I will, put a, I will put a song as the sort of the flagship for it. The album is Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. And the song I'll use is Good For You because you can come up with a direct through line to that song, including the point where Alanis Morissette and Olivia Rodrigo performed that song together on stage. Sorry, performed You Ought to Know together on stage. Very clearly influenced by Alanis's vibe. And Olivia Rodrigo's a big fan of 90s and early aughts alt-rock. There's no question she's channeling the spirit of Alanis in this song. First of all, the entire album, 11 tracks, nine of them, nine of them are about breakups. And she runs through all the stages all of them all five and yeah. I, I, she was 17 when this when this album was recorded i don't know how someone that young had this much maturity but you can listen to the songs i mean actually good for you is the one i chose but probably even a bigger one is driver's license which was her breakout hit which is about the depression phase good for you is bringing the anger and it's great it's so much fun to play and to listen to and to sing along with it's so clever the songwriting is very judicious she does not over do it. You know, it's funny, you talk about hooks in a song. Olivia Rodrigo's songwriting in this song in particular, you can't find a hook. There's ten hooks. There's so many parts of it which are memorable and fun to repeat and fun to listen to and fun to sing along with. It's just fantastic. I encourage you, we might be talking about this in a future episode actually, but I encourage you to listen to the whole album and her latest album, Guts, which is great also, just came out a little while ago and listen to that one too. But Sour's really about it. It's a whole breakup album. She wrote this song, Good For You. The, The hook came to her in the shower. Again, that was my question. Which hook? There's like the bass line is a hook. Yeah. The the vocals are hooks. The guitar <laughs> line is a hook. So anyway, a couple interesting things just because we've talked about uh, copyright infringement 
and plagiarism so much on this show, and I know plagiarism has a different meaning than copyright infringement, but I'm, I'm actually thinking more about plagiarism. The songwriters from a band called Paramore, I hope you all know Paramore, uh, Haley Williams yeah. and Josh Farrow are now credited as songwriters on this track because it, the chorus sounds a lot like the chorus of their song, Misery Business. They do sound yeah. similar. I don't really hear enough to make a case, but you know Olivia Rodrigo and her team of whatever did the right thing, and they gave Haley Williams and Josh Farrow the the songwriting credit and a whole lot of money. Uh, <laughs> she's she's to, the anti Led Zeppelin. Exactly, <laughs> she's giving um, credit before. <laughs> and here's what she said. Here's what Olivia Rodrigo said about it. I think it's disappointing to see people take things out of context and discredit any young woman's work. But at the end of the day, I'm just really proud and happy to say that my job is being a songwriter. All music is inspired by each other. Her words a little clumsy. But I know what she means. Obviously, I write all of my lyrics from my heart and my life first. I came up with the lyrics and melody for Good For You One Morning in the Shower. What's so beautiful about music is that it can be so inspired by music that's come out in the past. Every single artist is inspired by artists who have come before them. It's sort of a fun, beautiful sharing process. Nothing in music is ever new. There's four chords in every song, and that's the fun part trying to make that your own. And just to put a little punctuation mark on that, she has another song, Brutal which some people accused her of ripping off Elvis Costello in that song. And Elvis came to her defense and said, this is fine by me. It's how rock and roll works. You take the broken pieces of another thrill and make a brand new toy. That's what I did. And I love that. I love that he's supporting her in her... uh, She's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. People who dismiss her as just another... Because she started off in Disney and people who dismiss her as just another machine-produced pop star have got it wrong. You gotta go listen to Olivia Rodrigo. She absolutely rocks and she's a brilliant songwriter. So my number one breakup song is the entire album Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll put Good For You and Driver's License and Trader and Enough For You and Happier and Favorite Crime and Hope You're All of them in that category. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I blacked out there again. What keeps happening to me? (laughs) I don't know. Rules mean nothing to Matt. (laughs) No, absolutely. I'm I'm going crazy here. Honorable mentions, this is a huge honorable one. mentions. Huge. Yeah, there's so many in this. Who's going first? I'll go first. We, we were first. talking about breakup songs, so you have to right. mention the breakup song by the Gary Ken Band. You know, it's on mine too. Yeah, for all the Swifties out there, we are never ever getting back together. Also um, on mine, <laughs> my best friend's girl by the Cars, mm. Love and Touch and Squeezing by Journey, Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Uh, that's on mine too. Yep, You're So Vain by Carl. Simon, it's That's too late by Car- <laughs> by Carol King, Good and then one. there's some weird ones that I wanted to throw in here. Remember back in the '90s when you would buy a CD and there was that extra long last yeah. cut. And then there was a right. song at the end of it. So you guys have heard me mention Reckless Kelly before once or twice on this podcast. They're a Texas band that's kind of in between rock and country, sometimes a little more country. And they did an acoustic show at Stubbs, and they have a CD out called Live at Stubbs. The last track that is on that record is 13 some odd minutes long. But if you go to about, I forget how far it is, like it's maybe 11 minutes in they have this extra song that's on there and i think the title of it is called loving you 
this one's rated R, kids, so don't go digging this up unless you're ready to hear the F word a few times. Because the chorus is love and use the dumbest bleeping thing I've ever done. And it's amazing. It's classic. I heard him do it live the first time I ever heard it. Honorable and mention. I, mention. Yeah. Honorable mention. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You, there's that one. There's Goodbye Earl by the used to oh, be yeah. Dixie Chicks. Yeah. That's which is not just a breakup song, but a great story song as well. And then the one that's just the most heart-wrenching. Oh, one other honorable mention. There's a song called Along for the Ride by a group called Jacko Pierce. They're two guys that play acoustic guitar. They were fairly big in Texas in the 90s and the 2000s. Really great song about a guy dating an older woman and didn't realize that he was just one of many younger men that she ah. was dating. And then the one that's would have topped my sad list, would have topped the breakup list, if it wasn't just such a country song, He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. Yeah, you've so. mentioned that one before. Good All one. right, so what are your honorable mentions, the ones that I didn't run over already? Well, I got over 90 of them, but I'll try not to say them all. <laughs> uh, I'll just say that if this was episode one instead of episode 38, uh, I probably would have used some or all of these. You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette, Almost Blue by Elvis Costello, All Too Well, the 10-minute version by Taylor, Taylor Swift, that is, Black by Pearl Jam, yeah. which is one of yours, and I Will Survive yeah. by Cake or by Gloria Gaynor. And, but I've used all those on top five lists, or you've used Black and I used the rest. I had four that I would call most honorable mentions that really were tough for me to get out of the top five list. Good as Hell by Lizzo, which I just love. And that's about picking yourself yeah. up and dusting yourself off. I'm going to stop pretending that I never broke your heart by Eels, which is a, I've talked about Eels a bunch of times, but this is an unusual one because it's written from the point of view of the person who did the leaving, not the person who was left. Right. For yeah. No One by the Beatles, which is a beautiful description of the feelings after a breakup. And the one song I can think of that really is about that bargaining stage is Please Do Not Go by the Violent Femmes. So I have to yeah. throw that in there for the bargaining part. I don't know how many of these I should run through. Geez, I'm not going to run through any of them. There's so many songs, but I'll just mention a few artists who are really good at breakup songs, Morrissey or The Smiths, whichever you want. I got to, actually, you know what? I got to mention yeah. at least a few of these songs. Uh, you mentioned Back to Black. I'll throw in Someone Like You by Adele. You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi. Who's Crying Now by Journey. Mr. Brightside yeah. by The Killers. That's a breakup song. All of Billie Eilish's album Happier Than Ever is a breakup album, and it's also so great. Ex-Girlfriend by No Doubt, also Don't Speak by No Doubt. Harry Styles yeah. has great breakup songs on every album. The Police had Can't Stand Losing You, The Bed's Too Big Without You, Every Breath You Take. Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, there's so many more. Somebody that I used to know. Don't You Want Me, Baby. Uh, I'm So Tired by The Beatles. Good Year for the Roses, Allison. Accidents Will Happen, I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down, and Beyond Belief by Elvis Costello. Not Big or Smile by Lily Allen. Divorce song by Liz Fair. I literally have a, you know, 50 more, so I can't do them all. I'm just going to make a little playlist and I'll pop it in the show notes of 90 fantastic breakup songs that I can't even mention because I have don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Can we still be friends, Seth? <laughs> yes. I still love you, Matt. Don't leave me. Oh, man. If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, check out the Spotify playlist that we've got in the show notes to hear them all. All right, kids, we're back. 
And something happened recently that I never thought was going to happen again, but the Beatles put out a new song. And I know that Matt's just got to be losing his mind over this because he always loses his mind over the Beatles. It's a song called Now and Then. And I think we're going to let Matt just geek out here for a little bit. All right. I'm actually going to be much more moderated in my enthusiasm for the song. I'm just going to give you the background on the song. And by now, I think everyone's heard about it. But just in case you haven't, let me give you a little background and then I'll just talk about the song just a bit. Um, So first of all, I think a lot of people know that in the 90s, Yoko Ono gave some cassette tapes of demos that John Lennon had recorded, including one that said For Paul on it to the Beatles. She mentioned it to George Harrison, then she gave it to Paul. The three surviving Beatles got together in the 90s for the anthology project. And one of the parts of the anthology project, it was a huge documentary and album release and a whole bunch of stuff. One of the things that they did as part of this project was to pull John's voice off these cassettes and record two new songs, Free as a Bird and Real Love. And this was a big event in the mid-90s. I want to say 94, could have been 95. I remember when they came out, you could hear them on the radio. You know, maybe it's fair to say there were some questions about, is this a finished Beatles song? Is this a Beatles song? But they, they sounded like Beatles songs and they sounded finished. And there wasn't that much technological wizardry that could happen. So you accepted what you heard. You accepted that you were listening to a, a Lennon cassette tape, basically a demo quality vocal. But they were good. They're right. Good. There was a third song. And that is now and then. They worked on it, and then they gave up. They gave up for two reasons. Partially because the quality of John's piano playing, he was playing piano and singing, and the quality of his piano playing was not that great. You know, he was just doing a sketch. He was just playing into a tape recorder, and they couldn't get the vocal off without the piano. So the two were too inseparable. That's the sound quality reason. They said they couldn't get a good quality recording of his voice. The second reason, which nobody is saying, but everybody can hear between the lines, is that George Harrison thought the song was garbage. And he said so. People covered for him at the time by saying, oh, he means the sound quality. And, you know, he didn't want to say it, but it was not a finished song. John never meant it to be a finished song. It was a demo. It was an idea. This is the way the Beatles worked. Usually John and Paul, but sometimes George and very occasionally Ringo would come with an idea. And it was a collaborative songwriting process from that point where, you know, John would come in with a verse and a melody and Paul would say, well, here, this is better and you can add this. And then, you know, George would come up with a solo and so on. So it was really a collaborative process and the song wasn't truly finished when one of the four Beatles brought it in to the other three. In a way, that's kind of what happened with Now and Then. But it's true that the original track is, quote, unfinished, unquote. I air air quoted that for you listeners at home. Well, fast forward whatever number of years it is, nearly 30. And Peter Jackson did the Get Back documentary a few years ago, and he used what he's calling AI technology. I don't really understand AI, so I don't really know, but I've read different responses to that where people are saying it's not really AI, it's machine learning, and I don't know what the difference is. Who cares? Some advanced technology that wasn't available in the 90s, he used it for the documentary and said, I can do this with Now and Then, because Paul really, really wanted to do the song. And in the intervening 30 years, George Harrison passed away. The Beatles were always a veto. Any one of them had a veto over whatever the band wanted to do. So any one of them could say, no, we're not doing that. It's kind of crass, but you can certainly look at this as Paul getting his way now that George was no longer there to object. Olivia Harrison, George's widow, came out and stated publicly that he had no objection to the song itself, only the quality of the recording they could get off of it. 
I'm skeptical. I think George didn't like the song. He was kind of salty. Uh, <laughs> very quick to criticize if he didn't like something. Anyway, they used the technology. They pulled John's voice off the track and they recorded this track. Now it's Ringo on drums. It's Paul on a number of things, bass and guitar and backing vocals and piano. He recreated John's piano part, which by the way, they were able to get the voice off perfectly. That's what the technological advancement gave them the opportunity to do. And George Harrison had recorded a couple parts on acoustic guitar and some little electric guitar riffs when they worked on it for the anthology project and before it was abandoned. Paul then played a guitar solo as a tribute to George and George's style on slide guitar. And I'm sure he meant that sincerely, but those of you who are familiar with the way the Beatles imploded eventually or separated, you know, Paul was a perfectionist and he would constantly harangue the others to do things in different ways. And George in particular right. just couldn't stand this. And Paul is a talented guitar player, but he was always trying to push George to do something different. And George got annoyed and the Let It Be movie, you can see just how annoyed he gets and what an uncomfortable interaction is. You can almost see this as a, Paul is still trying to make his playing better by copying his style in the solo. But hey, those are the negatives. Those are the negatives. So they come up with this song. They cut out John's pre-chorus, which is a very John-like pre-chorus in this composition, but it's true. It really wasn't finished. It doesn't fit the song. Not probably a bad idea to cut it. They add a bridge with the solo and they do some things like they change the tempo. They made it about 10% faster and they release the song, which they are saying this is the last Beatles song there will ever be. Let me right. just say about the song. Now, you know, Seth, there are few bigger Beatles geeks than, than I. There are some, but there aren't many. You're definitely our resident Beatles geek. For sure. There's two <laughs> ways, I think, to look at this song. One is as an event and one is as a song. I'm going to go on record. I haven't seen this much, but I have seen it in a few places. I'm going to go on record and say the song isn't all that much. I don't think it would have made it onto a Beatles record without a lot of work, which is what the Beatles do. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. But they couldn't recreate John's voice singing things he hadn't sung, so they had to work with what they had. John Lennon's one of the most brilliant lyricists in rock history. These lyrics are very basic. They rhyme. Yeah. There's nothing that opens your eyes and says, oh, that's a really clever turn of phrase in here. It's pretty simplistic. The music is nice, but nothing special. Personally, I think they drowned the charm of the song in a lot of strings. You know, they threw the kitchen sink in there, maybe to cover some imperfections in the audio. I don't know. The Let It Be album was famously mixed and mastered by Phil Spector, who put in a whole bunch of strings that the Beatles didn't know he was putting in. And Paul McCartney, in particular, right. hated it. And I'm surprised in a way, it's kind of ironic that he did the same thing to John's song. If you hear the demo, the original demo is beautiful. It's just John is singing very plaintively. And again, the tempo is slower and he's just playing. It's just him and the piano. And it's very moving. I think they covered up some of the charm by speeding it up and and maybe making it a little too pretty. The song has some nice points too. I just don't think it's their, I, I'd hate to see them, see this actually be considered like their final piece of work. As an event though, it's pretty remarkable that the technology has given us a chance to hear the four Beatles 43 yeah. years after John's death is incredible. The video is really cool. Yeah. They did some cool things mixing different eras and you know the different Beatles in different periods of their career. Very cleverly done. I think it's a really neat project. I don't think it is worthy of being the last Beatles song, personally. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. The technology that was used in order to put this thing together is just astonishingly Amazing. good. Yeah. Because taking John's vocal from a cassette tape that was recorded in the 70s on just a regular cassette recorder, taking that and making that vocal end up in that song the way that it does, the technological feat in order to do that, that's just amazing. I agree. Is the song great? No. 
you could probably pick 75 or 100 other Beatles songs that were better than that one. But I just like you say, it's yeah. an event. Right. It's something that comes back and it brings the Beatles back into the the zeitgeist, as it yeah. were. Yeah. And maybe it introduces a whole new generation to their music. Yeah. And if so, awesome. Yeah, That's sure. great. I don't want to leave people with the impression that the song itself is inferior. It's just not finished. That's not the way they wrote songs. Yeah. They would have made it into a true Beatles track if they'd ever had the chance to be together in the room with John and say, okay, this is a neat idea. Let's pull this out in here. I got this other idea. Let's pull that together. They just didn't have the chance in this case. They did some of that. But again, Paul actually did add some vocals that weren't in the original track, which make the song make a little more sense. I think it almost would have been better if they'd added a section where Paul is singing something that he composed the way they did with A Day in the Life where they're fusing their two songwriting efforts to make something bigger. It's really nice. It's very poignant that the title of the song is Now and Then and the lyrics are about missing somebody and it's a great event. It's an okay song. Hey Rockers, our first show of the year is coming up December 17th at La Boule Noire. Come and see our 17 student bands rock your face off just in time for the holidays. See you there. All right, kids, we're back, and it's time for 60 seconds of we don't know what. Mayhem. (laughs) 60 seconds of mayhem, the one-minute matchup. What are we doing for this episode? Today, so I guess this goes well with the breakup songs theme, we're coming up with the most mismatched musical rock duo by talent. By talent. (laughs) Okay. You got that. You understand. This (laughs) This one was a little weird for me, but okay. I guess we're going to do this with our stopwatches. Yep. Seeing as how we're doing this with our phones in a technological patch. Should uh, work. Matt's got his. And let me get let me get mine up. There we go. I'm going to let you go first on this okay. one. Your 60 seconds on who's the most mismatched duo starts now. I don't think you started it, though. Or maybe not now. <laughs> maybe I should hit start. There you go. Okay. Your 60 seconds starts now. Okay. Uh, well, there's a famous comedy duo called Garfunkel and Oates, and I think that's kind of a nod to mismatched talent du- musical duos. Uh, Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel and Oates of Hall and Oates. Um, but I'll tell you, I considered six, six pairs. The White Stripes, which is Jack and Meg White. Wham, which is George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. Hall and Oates which is uh, obviously Daryl Hall and John Oates. And then Simon and Garfunkel, The Carpenters, and Sonny and Cher I dismissed as not being close enough to the rock, the trunk of the rock tree, so let's just go with the top three. Um, I don't know that Oates added a whole lot to the, to the Hall and Oates sound, but he did write songs, and I don't think Daryl Hall is such, great, such a great musician that you got to count him, so it's between the top two. Jack White and George Michael are giants, giant talents. Meg White of the White Stripes really compliments that sound well. Andrew Ridgely's a nice guy, but I'm going to go with George Michael and Andrew Ridgely of Wham, originally Wham UK, as the most mismatched duo by talent. Wow. I was right there in a minute. You didn't think you I was going right to make it, did you? You didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't think you were going to make it at all. That was. That I, was I stuck the landing, man. From. You ready to go? Yeah. Your minute starts in three, two, one, go. Okay, so I kind of thought about the White Stripes, but like you said, Meg kind of adds a lot to that. I was going to say Simon and Garfunkel, 
just because after Art and Paul split up, Art never really did a whole lot on his own. But he did have an amazing voice that made their songs together much better than what Paul could have done on his own with those songs. But I got to go with Daryl Hall and John Oates. <laughs> even though they stayed together, and even though John Oates did a lot of the writing, it's Daryl doing all the singing, and Oates is just playing some rhythm guitar and singing background vocals. I mean, his guitar parts aren't even the hard ones. If you've watched some of the videos where he's where they're actually playing live, he's not really jamming a whole lot. And then, you know, live at Daryl's house, Hoats is nowhere to be seen. So there's my minute. <laughs> All right, minute and two, minute two. Yeah, you're right. That's something I considered also was what do they do after they split up if they split up? And yeah, I mean, I haven't heard the name Andrew Ridgely yeah. or the name Meg White since their careers were over, except in talking about their former careers. So <laughs> yeah, Hall and Oates, yeah. perfectly respectable choice. I'm not going to quibble with you there. So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. Extra credit, the Rock You podcast is brought to you with support from our partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for all music production in Paris. Everything from the composition to the creative side, to the recording and engineering, to the mixing and mastering, to the distribution and publication and publicity. Check them out at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And of course, you will hear lots of Rock You musicians on that label. Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, is a production of Rock You. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock You is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>